0: who does not love heavy tea now that we found love <laughs> 50 years of hip-hop people 50 years of hip-hop and so every time I hear some hip-hop piece because I you know if you ask me what I like about hip-hop I'll give you like one or two things but then when you play all the music from the time that I was enjoying hip-hop and loving hip-hop first fell in love with hip-hop it's a huge list of artists and rappers and stuff that I dug so Anyway, good morning, happy Wednesday. I'm Babs Rose Ivy. Welcome to Love Babs, Love Talk. Let's see what do I want to get into this morning. There's a couple of things because you know I watched the news, and I I told myself I would make notes so I wouldn't I wouldn't forget what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about the other day, about that damn bear in China that looks like a human. I don't know what to say about it. I guess this is a real bear. Maybe it's a real bear. I don't know. Then he waves at people and. It's a very social bear and it's like skinny. So I don't know, but the bear in China, which is odd. I I don't put nothing past them because why would I put anything past them? So that's, that's one thing. Um, and, you know, people feel some kind of way, but there are bears that look like that It's so a specific particular kind of bear. So I don't know what the jury is on. I don't, I don't have a jury on that. China gonna do what China do they wanna they wanna create a fake bear all right whatever uh if it's a real bear okay whatever uh that's number one uh number two this woman who is in where is she in Bahamas Barbados somewhere put out a hip on her husband <laughs> i I I I think these people need to stop trying to plot murders on social on their on their cell phones because because and I don't care if you get a burner. Like, that's TV stuff. They're going to find out. <laughs> Thank God they didn't kill her husband. But she she, she hired two cats to kill her husband. And she's very specific and explicit about it. Uh, so I think, she I don't know where she is, somewhere in the Caribbean. She's out on bail now, but she can't leave the island. So she's a mother with, what, three kids? Three young kids trying to kill her husband. Girl, I, I, why are you trying to kill your husband? I think when you try to kill your husband like that, you just want the insurance money. I don't, or maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't even know. But the fact that she was on WhatsApp and all this other kind of stuff, plotting this, is ridiculous. Did she pay any money to these people? I think she paid him a little bit of money, but somehow somebody got wind of it, and it was even and it was by accident. Somebody was, I guess, in getting to rob her room or clean her something, and they found the phone, and it was like, oh shoot, somebody's trying to kill somebody. Listen, let me tell you something. Stop trying to kill your spouses. I know you want to kill them because you want them out of your life or whatever, but. That's not the way to go because you're going to get caught. You see the woman who poisoned her husband to death. They couldn't figure out why he died, but he died. And she wrote a whole book about it, about, you know, for her kids, about how he, you know, why, you know, death and all this other kind of stuff. Come to find out the woman it was poisoning him. <laughs> I, I, I don't see nobody trying to ban that book off the damn shelves. She's an actual murderer. So stop. Listen. Let me, let me save somebody some time. If you are going to try to kill your spouse, rethink that. Because they're going to find out. They're going to find out. You think your cell phone is some just unique to you. And oh, they'll never be able to trace it if I erase stuff. Nothing is ever erased. Things live in the ether. So here's my, here's my friendly PSA. Don't try to kill your spouse.
1: Number that's my third thing. Don't
0: don't kill your spouse. Don't. So the bear in Chinese, the woman trying to kill her husband, the woman who did kill her husband, and and I know there's a lot of men who have killed their wives. Lots and lots and lots of them. Lots and lots and lots of them. Lots and lots of them. And it's never a good look. Very few people get away with murder. I remember Mel Waring told me one time. Told me this a very long time ago. He said there are no perfect crimes, but there is perfect opportunity. I don't know why that stayed with me. It just stayed with me. And I think it was because of the Joving case, right? Because I I was just coming on the Board of Police Commissioners at the tail end of, well, I mean, it's never at the end of it, but you know, when all the hubla, hubla, hubba, hubba, hubba ba kind of died down. And they still didn't the find they know who did it. I mean, we all know who did it, but they can't touch this guy. So he's living his best life somewhere. You know, they know who did it, but perfect opportunity. Not the perfect crime, perfect opportunity. Perfect opportunity. And this guy feigned indignance and all this other kind of stuff. I don't know if he sued the name, police department, but, uh, uh, but they knew it was him. That's why detective work is so critical you gotta, you gotta, you can't be rough around the edges. You gotta be good at this. So anyway, um, so I say that to say all these people, these amateurs out here trying to kill people, you know, their spouses and stuff or coworkers or bosses or whatever the mess is, you know, stop it. I read this, I read this, uh, uh, no, I didn't read this. There's a show called A Thousand Ways to Die. My sister turned me on to this like a decade ago. This show is crazy. But all the ways in which people died, which is just off, like things you would never think of. Like this guy or this person painted their boss's office with a toxic paint. (laughs) I don't know
1: how he pulled this off. Painted his office with a toxic paint. And he
0: died. Cause the paint, and by the time they they, I mean it took some good detective work to figure it out. But man, that's a long, that's a bridge too far. And how do you get to paint somebody's office without them knowing it? Unless you just bring it I'm like, you oh, know, yeah, I'll paint your office. I don't, I don't even know how that comes. Like I don't even know how you orchestrate that. I just don't know. So anyway, uh, yeah. So just th- just listen do yourself a favor. Don't try to kill anybody. How about that? You know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, when you have to fight back and defend yourself, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you plot, when you deliberately wake up one day and say, oh, I want that person dead. Let me figure out. And, and some of these people were stupid. Like, I think there was one case where somebody was like on the internet surfing for assassins for hire. I, I don't think that's how that goes. You might want to talk to the Russians. They're good at this. Talk to them. You know, if you don't got no mob friends, don't even try it. Like, don't, don't do it. I, no shade to the mob. None. But I'm saying if, if, you, if you want to kill somebody, you have to go to the people who know how to do this. And oftentimes when you do that, you get caught because you're so stupid. St- listen, this is my PSA. Don't kill anybody. Like, don't plot to kill anybody. Let let the judiciary take sue people. Take them to court. Run them ragged through the court system. It'll feel like they're dead. You know, they'll want to die after you drag them through court. But don't don't plot to kill people. I, that's not a good look. It's just never a good look. So that's one thing. That's three things. One, two, three. Oh, yes, I told y'all. Stay out of the shark waters. Stay stay out of the oceans. Stay the hell. Stick to the lakes and the ponds you are used to. (laughs) Leave these sharks. Let these sharks have their habitat. (laughs) You are in their way. That's number four. Number five, somebody in Florida won the Mega Millions. One person with well, one ticket, one ticket of all places, why would it be Florida? But Florida has no no um, income tax. So that might be, if you're going to win, that might be a good place to win. So I didn't check my tickets. I made my daughter go get me one mega million yesterday. And she didn't even get the multiplier, the mega plier. I my daughter's cheap. And then I got one uh, Connecticut lottery ticket because I think I feel like I have a better chance to win the Connecticut lottery than I do the Mega Millions. I mean, I'm not going to win any, but I'm not going to say that. No, let me not say that. I take that back. I might be able to win. Who knows? I, You know, I committed $2 to it. So there you go. That's it. That is it.
1: And uh, uh, I'm good. <laughs>
0: So I'll check my, I'll check my lotto tickets and see, you know, if I won anything, I probably didn't. I'd like to though. I would like to win some money, like a big, big pool of money. I'm going to put it out there. I'd like to win a big pool of money. So yeah, but it was, it was fun being excited. Although one person won, I mean, one ticket, one ticket. We don't know if it was one person. It could have been a whole team of people on one ticket. Who knows? So, but yeah. Oh, yeah, I got my nails done yesterday. Thank you, Sammy. They're they're very, very pink. I don't know if you can see how pink they are. And I have a B on. I had to put a B in in chrome on my nails. Not for Barbie, which is B for Babs. Barbie, Babs. So I got my nails painted. Um, And I leave tomorrow for Martha's Vineyard. Which is you know my happy place. I'll tell you, when you get on that ferry from Martha's Vineyard, the minute you step on that ferry and you start to go across, you just your life changes. <laughs> your life, your life changes. And you get off and you just drive to where you gotta go. Uh, and I know where I have to go. like I know where I, I need to be. It's just a it's just a lovely feeling to just get off the ferry and you're, and you're in town. So then I'll get off the fair and I'll drive down Circuit Avenue and uh, get to get to the hotel where I'm staying and then uh, walk down the street to the Strand because going to a community foundation event, uh, Black Futures. So that'll be nice. So we have to get on the road early tomorrow and uh, and that'll be what it is. That'll be what it is. Maybe early, early. Cause it's like a four hour drive to Woods Hole, like three, you know, like, yeah, like four hours. So you got to do it. It's fine. No, it's all right. We could do it. We've done it millions and millions of times, you know, over and over and over again, we've done it. We've done it. We've done it. So uh, what else is, what else is on the news? Oh, we are still, we are still riding high on the, uh, the Montgomery, uh, Massacre. No, the no, Montgomery beat down. <laughs> I love my people. I, I love my people. I love my people. Love them. Because the memes and this jewelry that have come out of this has cracked me on. Oh, just I, I'm just on the floor. I'm, I'm on the floor,
1: I'm on the floor. On the
0: floor, just, you know, dead. So, but I, I did want to state this though, because I saw this posted by uh, somebody. Um, okay, all jokes aside, the phrase, we are not our ancestors, as if our ancestors were soft and didn't fight against their situation, is intellectually lazy most of us could never endure what they dealt with and we exist because of their struggle give thanks and I know you know I, and I probably be one of these people that said this too, listen this ain't this ain't your I'm not my grandmother but then I was wrong to say that because my grandmother endured stuff and my great-grandmother my great-great-great-grandmother endured stuff that I have no clue about so i apologize if i ever came out my mouth with that i don't think i came out of out of my mouth or anybody who says well we ain't our ancestors i don't think we mean it disrespectfully i think we i think what we're saying is it's a new day although i'm not trying to i'm not trying to clean that up i'm just trying to so before we before we get all hyped up and mad at people um we just we just mean this is a new day and uh and uh, it's, a, it's a different set of tools, like folding chairs. <laughs> folding chair, Folding, folding chairs. And I got four of them on my porch. I've had them. So, so it was good. It was very, very good. It was very, very good. So anyway,
1: it's all good. I can't, I can't complain. I
0: cannot complain. Uh, Anyway, uh, I I just found out that I have friends in common with other friends that I didn't even know. I didn't even know that they knew each other. But of course, they they do know each other because all the Howard University people are so connected. (laughs) So Chris Washington, legendary Chris Washington DJ is on Martha's Vineyard now. My friend Daniel Ricks is on Martha's Vineyard. And I didn't know the two knew each other. Or maybe I didn't think about it, but I should have thought about it because they they both are Howard alum. And Chris is on the board of trustees for Howard University. So anyway, I was with him in Maine. That's, that's, that's what I really want to say. I was with him in Maine um, and I met Daniel Ricks last year for the first time. And we've been friends for like, we've been Facebook friends and blogging friends for, I don't know, since we've been online since so 10, 15 years. Uh, so I never met her, but we always, like, talked. And I remember she was in D.C. You know, she was always giving these great parties. And I remember I wanted to go. And then she moved, took a job somewhere and moved. And then she stayed out there for a minute. And then she came back.
1: <laughs> <sighs> uh, anyway. Uh, that's the way of the
0: world so so yeah the weather is beautiful today it's bright it's sunny it's clear there's no rain in sight um so be prepared to be out there and enjoy this day it's gorgeous out gorgeous 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 so anyway good morning to all the folks that are tuned in i appreciate you uh for spending your time and your mornings with me at 10 15 i've got a judge Clifton Graves coming on. He's going to talk about his friend, um, Charles Ogletree. You know, we just, Charles Ogletree just passed away. Uh, uh, um, Rock star law professor at Harvard. Uh, Wonderful person. I I told you when I said this yesterday, I remember I, I came enamored of him when I was watching, I guess it was on PBS, A Question of Ethics. And he was so good at facilitating these conversations about uh, questions of ethics and all kinds of arenas. And they pulled together an interesting uh, panel of folks. And it was like a wide, like a round table uh, panel of folks. And they had to like wrestle with ethical things. I loved it so much. Loved it because it just it made it just opened my mind. It just broadened my mind. So I would lo- I would love to do uh, a question of ethics here in New Haven. Just brought you know just open have some kind of big thinking conversation. Instead of these mediocre, ridiculous conversations about things, uh, and that's just my opinion. Other people might not think they're mediocre. other people might think they're just you know great conversations. Some of these conversations are just insepping, but that's all right. That's all right. Uh, I haven't picked up my uh, uh, the Other side of Prospect book. Uh, I, I don't know, i't know I took a few days from it, but I'm gonna get back into it. I, I'm still convinced, uh, and I have, the, I have the chief's number. The chief's card. And do with his card? I have his card and I, I damn sure I'm gonna call him. And uh, I really do think that book ought to be a, a police wide read read. Like he should start a, a uh um he should start a, a book club in the police department and they read all these kinds of books. And so I, I have his number right here. So he's like, Babs, text me, call me anytime i want to have him on um but I, I can't i don't want to do anything until i get back from martha's vineyard so i'll call him i'll sell i'll text him hey this is bad when we talk and then uh, i was like you know you should start a you should start a, a book club a chief's book club at the police department and y'all read all these kinds of things you know read all read all these kinds of books i mean i think that book should be mandatory for any incoming academy uh, but i think standing officers ought to. Or to read it too. And I bet you there's some that have already read it. You know, because as I said, it's going to take good cops that's going to clean up the police departments. That's it. There's no other way around this. You know, and good cops can sit back and be quiet all they want, but they've got to stand up and say, you know what? I don't want to be represented by bad cops anymore. That's just how I feel. That's the only way this, the ties are going to change. Good cops. Good cops are going to have to make the, make the decision to sort of say enough. But that's, that, that was yesterday's conversation. We're in a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new life. <laughs> it's a new day. It's a new life. <laughs> that's it. It's a new day. It's a new life. So I'm just saying. That's the only way it's going to work. Uh, I feel pretty good, though. I'm not going to listen. So I was watching Good Morning America. I don't know who has time for all the foolishness that goes on in the world. But it does go on, and uh, so I was watching a piece on Ozempic. I'm on Ozempic. I'm. I'm not. It's not a secret. At least I, I. I don't think it's a secret. I've been saying it since I got on it. So I've been on it for three months. So I'm down. Let's see. This morning I got on the scale, and uh, let's see. Let me. Let me. I started at. I think I started at three hundred and three pounds. And now I am two hundred and. 79 pounds so do the math so i am uh oh gosh i don't know why i can't do this so i started at 303 pounds i think yeah 303 is the highest uh and then i i i'm now at 279 so i've lost 24 pounds in what three three months i think i started on Zimpit
1: i think it's three months um
0: yeah so 24 pounds so anyway i saw this thing on 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 good morning america with people you know people who are on Ozympic who are not diabetic diabetic but using it for weight loss and people were like trying to shame them like well i changed my diet i get up at five and i go walk and i do this and that other thing and i and i was like you know whatever the people whatever the Tools that people need, let them use the tools. That's that's it. My friend Harry did Weight Watchers. Did an amazing job on Weight Watchers. Beautiful job. Lost a lot, a lot of weight. Now it is a way of life for him. But for some people, Weight Watchers is not going to do it. Some people have to go get a balloon put in, or get their stomach altered, or bypassed, or whatever. My team of doctors didn't think that was a good course for me, so I didn't pursue that. I entertained it, but they were like, "No, you're not going to do that." So when when these round of d- drugs, these semaglutides came around, um, my doctor said, "You should. We should put you on this one because I'm di- I I have diabetes. Now I had gotten my A1C down by diet and exercise. Well, not so much exercise, but diet. Uh, but it but it it didn't let la- it didn't stay there. Um. The the Ozempic helps my A one C stay at the at the low place, and it cuts down on having a damn stroke. So listen, I wish somebody would get in my face talking about oh you're doing it the easy way. There's nothing. There's nothing easy about any of this. There's nothing easy about any of this. If you know any fat people, none of these. None of this is easy. We're all fat people are wrestling with how to do this. What should we do? Should we even do it? And and I'm talking about weight loss. Like, should we do it? And you give up because you do everything, everything. And then it, you don't, you don't, you don't accomplish, you know, uh, uh, you know, you just don't, you don't. And I'm one of these people, I get to a set point and then I hover there for a very long time. No matter what I do, I stay there. So the Ozempic has really helped push past plateaus for me. And I'm not even at the highest dose yet. So they give me at the highest dose. I might I might drop 60 pounds, which would be nice. It would be nice. You know why it would be nice? Because I would rather take one dose of the, the Ozempic and not have to take the six or seven other damn drugs that I take every single day. And I, I take a lot of drugs. I, I don't, I'm, I, listen, I'm grateful I have damn insurance that will cover this. you know how many people in this country can't have basic insurance to take care of their cholesterol, the high blood pressure, all the stuff, the diabetes. They're making decisions of whether should I take this medicine today because I got to pay out of pocket. I'm cutting their medicine in half. I don't have to do any of that. So people can say whatever the hell they want about whatever I'm doing. I don't care because for me, quality of life is more important than anything. And I'm not going to, whatever tools that they have, whatever tools that are afforded to me, I'm using them because I like living. (laughs) Now, I didn't always like living, but at this moment, (laughs) in this moment, in these moments, I'm enjoying living (laughs) and I want to do it a little bit longer. So if I have to take the tools that sustain the life, then that's what I'm doing. So anyway. That's that's what that's where I'm at. So I want people to stop shaming people for their choices. And I see it all the time. I see it. I've been I've been fat shamed. There's not a day that goes by that people, you know, don't don't make some snide remark. You know, people say some ish like, well, you really dress nice for a big girl. (laughs) I I, I really think I don't know. I don't even know what that's about. I want to think that they think they're paying a compliment. I I, want to believe that because I don't think people I I just don't believe people are just mean out the box like that. Not not a lot of people. I don't think the majority of people are mean out of the box like that. You know, people people have said to my face, oh, where do you buy your clothes? You you wear such nice clothes, you know, and, you know, for a plus size woman.
1: Like plus size fat people don't deserve to wear nice clothes. (laughs) Like, like I don't
0: deserve to win. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, you know I, my cardiologist fat shames me every time I go to his office. I dread it. I dread it. I dread it. And when I lose a little more weight, I was like, you know, what? you really should stop fat shaming your patients. It's mean. Stop saying it. You know. You know. And I think he, I think he thinks it's motivating. It's not. It's liable to get me to punch you in your throat. Well, I, you know, I've. I haven't moved to that place yet because I've been fat for a long time. So I I believe that I don't move through the world as a fat person. You know, I get it. People, sometimes people look, they look at my tummy or they look at my butt or, you know, they look at, you know, my double chin, you know, and I know people are like, God, I'm I'm glad I don't have a fat tummy like that or glad I don't have a fat ass like that. Or you know what I mean, like whatever it is that people are are reviled by, you know. Uh, and I see, I see it. I see when people sort of stare and look at me, and you know they look me up and down and and you know take notice of my body or whatever. Um, and I, I don't. It it doesn't. It doesn't hurt me. It annoys me. You know, because I because I as you're looking at me, I could see the judgment, right? I could see you know i could see the the wheels of judgment well if you only if you only you know if you only just you know if you didn't eat so much or and here's the thing a lot of fat people don't eat that much to, to be honest you know you know and and there's a lot of people a lot of fat people who are who are working out and running and doing all the like the fat chef and she's always fat shame. And she's run marathons. I tell you what, I can't run a marathon. I did one 5K. One 5K. That was the be all end all. It was never my goal to do more 5Ks. I toyed with the idea of running Paris or running Barcelona or, you know, because there's races around the world that you can do this. But after I did that one 5K, I was cured. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't really. And I, I actually enjoyed running. But I enjoyed running at my leisure. Do you know what I mean? Like, because I wanted to do it. But now I got these new tinas. I'm not running anywhere. But I will. I will walk. You know, I, I've got to now that the tinas don't feel new, new. Um, I could walk because when I was walking before, it was just like, oh God, it just I was nervous because I was like, are my hips really healing? Because this hurts. <laughs> but now I don't have that same. That same. Uh, same, same pain, and so uh, when I get back from uh, Martha's Vineyard, uh, I'm going to write out, write out my 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 plan, and really get my ass moving so that I could go into the fall. Because I I really, I really I have a goal, and I want to hit that goal. And I I'm trying to buy back time in my 60s. Not that I'm losing time, but you know when you're this heavy, it does take some years off your life. I want to put those back. <laughs> So, so I, I may go back to see Robert in a little bit. I told him I'll, I'll be in to see him. So I can weight train because I, I really enjoy weight training and uh, putting some muscle on. That's what I want. You know, I want to put some put some some muscle
1: on. So anyway,
0: <sighs> we'll do the best that we can. We'll do the best that we can with what we have. Um, that's it. I tell you what, that little boy that jumped in the water in Alabama ought to get a full ride scholarship to some HBCU. And I can think of, a, and I and I know there's some good ones in Alabama, but I like to see him go to Morehouse or Fisk or Tuskegee or Howard, you know. And then what? What I I personally personally, I'd like to see him go be the captain of the swim team at some HBCU. That's it. <laughs> That that's my dream, that's my dream. i like for him to be the, the the swim captain of HBCU swim team. And from what I understand, Howard has a damn good one. So that's why that's what I mean. Like if I if I won if I had won that Mega Millions last night, I would have funded so many HBCUs off the rip. And then I would have made sure that kid had a scholarship. I was like, listen, kid, I know you're only sixteen. Keep your damn grades up. I will pay your way, four-year ride, all expenses to any historically Black college you wanted to go to, and preferably one with a damn swim team so you could be the captain. And then, and then I would pay for you to go abroad, take some time abroad. That's what I would do. I would, I would have my own, my own academy of scholars that I would just fund. Listen, you got all that kind of money, what am I gonna do? I don't need 20 houses and 50 cars. I even put some people through school and, and get right. And then you know what? And then I, I thought, you know, as much as I want to buy property in another country, and I do, and I will on the continent, and I will, that's the goal. Uh, I, I think I need to buy some acreage here. I need to take back some land here. And then you know what else I would do? I would go and see whatever black farmers are in need and try to help there, try to put some money in some black farmers' hands so that they could like secure some lands and 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 then go find out who's who's what families are losing property because of taxes or whatever. Because you know it's never a lot of taxes. I, that's that's the kind of stuff that I would want to do as a philanthropist. I would just go and try to help as much. I don't need 20 damn houses. I'm not gonna have 20 houses. I want one good ass house that me and my friends could live in, my girlfriends, and and I would make sure I would take care of my family. I would retire my brothers, my sister, uh I make sure I give them a little bit of money so they can take care of their children. Uh, I would take care of my children. I would take care of my, my inner circle of friends. I would put some of my friends' kids through college or whatever. You know what I, I mean? You know what I mean? I would I would create a hub here in Newhallville, some kind of community center. I would buy that outright and maintain it for a decade. And then they'd have to put some things in place so that they could continue it. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the kind of stuff that I would want to do. That's it. That that's what I'd want to do. And some other stuff, you know, some other stuff. But that would be the gist of all that kind of money. With all that kind of money, I would put it to good use. Because that's that's how I would want to be in the world. But I didn't win yet, so <laughs> well, baby, if I would have won, let me tell you something. It would have been a game changer because I'd have been doing a bunch of other things. You know, I definitely would buy the inner city a building. And then you have an independent building and maybe it's one building with a couple of floors between us. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what I would do. So that the independent could have his own offices somewhere and a studio and then the inner city could have its own offices somewhere and whatever. And then we could share interns. We could do all kinds of stuff. It could be very creative. Very, very creative. You know, it'd be cool. I would do some cool stuff. That's how I'm thinking. I'm thinking like that thinking like that you know i'd keep books in the hands of school children you know i i make sure every kid that wanted a book could have a book on a regular rotating basis you know i i try to develop some housing for people coming out of prison because that seems to be the biggest problem for people coming out of prison you know to to get housing i'd be i'd be a landlord that says yeah i'm I'm welcoming you know and i'd hire my own staff of caseworkers and and, and, you know, like a therapist, just because, you know what, you just need, because I, I don't, people, they, I think some people think therapy is a luxury that they cannot afford, but and I, I get the sense, particularly poor people and people coming out of prison, I think they think that that therapy is a luxury that's not afforded to them, you know, and I and I think, I I, I used to think you know, because the our my community, the black and brown community was so resistant to therapeutic support. I used to think it was a fear, but it's, I don't now I'm now I'm really starting to believe I don't think it's a fear. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a fear, uh, but I think m- m- most of it is it is seen as a luxury that has not been available to them. And I think I think if we made some inroads coming at mental health in our community that way, that is not a luxury. It's not a luxury to sit and talk with someone about what is happening and delve into the patterns of your life and the choices that you're making. That's not a luxury, that is a necessity. But I think we've come at it, I think the mental health, the, the mental health community has come at this wrong in the way that they talk to the black community. And I only just discovered this, like since yesterday, just yesterday or this morning, I was thinking, I think it's because black people think this is a luxury that's not afforded to them. You know, like, like it's almost like a waste of time. And, and but a waste of time in the sense that that's time I could be working. That's time I could be doing something because I got kids and I got commitments. I got, that that takes away from from all the things that I need to do. I cannot carve out that time. because I, I think if you look if you think about um, how we don't go to the doctor the way that we go to the we should go to the doctor and that we use the emergency room as primary care. I think that sort of feeds into my hypothesis a little bit that if you look at the correlation between how we go to the doctor, and how we see mental health, I think it's the same. I think it's the, I think it's the same. I think it's a luxury um, and almost a hardship, if you will, uh, that people don't utilize these things because it takes away. And I and I get people think there's a, you know the stigma part. The stigma is only one part of it. I don't think it's the whole pie. I don't think the stigma is the whole pie. I think it's I don't have time you know and then trying to figure out where to go and who to see and if you don't see anybody who looks like you in these spaces then you run the risk of you know sharing your business with folks who don't know a damn thing about you to begin with you understand know what i'm saying so to sit in front of some white person and talk about how your parents was trash or sit in front of some white therapist And talk about how you were raped as a child and nobody in the family helped you. I I think that's his own trauma, too. I do. No shade to white therapists and white therapeutic settings and white spaces that offer, you know, are trying to close these mental health gaps in Black and Brown communities. No shade to them. But I think they come at this work half ass wrong you know I don't think it's the shame of a stigma I think is I don't want to say what white people want to talk about my damn problem because some of y'all are part of the damn problem as a matter of fact historically you are the problem now there's some of us that could get past that right the more I think the more educated we are the more that we could get past that because we have a broader sense of the world when you ever brought us into the world, it, it is not narrowly defined by black and white, but everything I believe, and I'm well educated, is race driven. But okay. But I can parse that out in a therapeutic setting because I've got some skills to do that. But if you're just coming up out of the hood and you, you know, and you know, and, and white folks is in your face talking about share, 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 you'd be like, shut up. You don't know my pain. You don't know, a damn thing about me, and I, and I know in the back of their mind, they're like I know people are trying to help me, but I can't do it. I can't do it with this person. So that's that's so that's that's where I'm at. I'm, that's how I'm thinking about these things. I'm thinking about these things, you know. So I think there's a real correlation between, uh, you know, how we go to mental health and how we go to regular health. I do, and I, 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 don't think it's shame. I, I think it's. Uh, you know, stress and no time to do it. And you don't know my pain, and And I think, I think there's a, there's this real thought about where will this in where will I end up after I unburden myself or start to pick apart the things that I've held so tightly? How, how do I relinquish and release those things that I've been carrying for so so long, and and got a rhythm for carrying them, even though it might look like you know my life is trash and falling apart, but at least I have some control over how I choose to deal with this. I, I think I think the mental health communities uh, uh, missed the mark. I, I think they missed the mark. You know, I think they're missing the mark. I think they have to think about this and come at this a different way. You know, um, I do. I really do. Because we, we are, we are crisis mode. And I, I need more Black mental health people in the game. I know, I know, I know. And I need, and I need White mental health people to shut up and stop trying to, you know, uh, enter into conversations with, with Black people that they have no business entering in it i know that's harsh i i know i know it i know it i know it you know but that's you know that's that's a whole other conversation i'm just saying so i i don't think it's totally shame i don't i don't think that anymore i did think that that we had a stigma but i I don't think that anymore i think i think it's only a small small part of it you know i think it i think it i think it's you know, what happens when I unpack this stuff? Where does that leave me? Who will I be at the end of this unpacking of very traumatic things, of very painful things? Who will I be standing? You know, and I think that's a very scary thing. I think that's a very, very scary thing. You know, and, 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 you know, it's a luxury. I don't care what anybody says going to a therapist is a damn luxury and until we change that thought and that thinking, I think people are gonna have a hard time with it. I think I think it's I think it's I think people are gonna have a hard time with it you know and it's not a luxury I'm here to tell you i I personally don't like therapy anymore because i I've had some terrible terrible therapists. I've never had one good therapist well no <laughs> My children had great therapists. You know, my soror, uh, Dr. Dr. Deborah Bond, is a good therapist. She was very good with my children. I enjoyed her. All the other ones, all the other places I sent them, and there's some well-known places in town I did not have a care for. I did not like the way they talked to me. I didn't like the way they interacted with me. so I'm I'm not going to trash them, but I'm not going to praise them either, Mm-mm. you know. And, and I know some folks who run these organizations who are wonderful, fine people, amazing people. Um, but my experience, and I and I think, I think that's the experience of a lot of people, you know. And 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 they don't speak up; they don't have a voice to speak up. You know, and, and I think the mental health community has to do a better job in, in talking talking to the very people that they want to be talking to, <laughs> talk better to us. It's a partnership. You, you're not all knowing. You are not all knowing as a therapist. You got to find a way for me and, and me being community to sort of want to do this and, and open the door in such a way that I don't feel like as soon as I walk through the door, there's this giant ass spotlight on me, and and I'm like in the zoo. I'm like, oh look at look
2: look 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 look,
0: and I'm not suggesting that all therapists are like this. I'm just in my experience, many of you are, you know. So, so I don't think it's the I don't think it's the shame so much that we have to counterattack. I think it's the idea of therapy as a luxury, and and not for me. I don't have the time for that. That seems like I'm just bemoaning some stuff that I can't do anything about. I can't go back and fix that. you know. I, I think that's, I think that's at the heart of why people don't go to therapy. They don't see the point of it. And we've not done a good job of saying what the point of therapy is. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe they have. I don't know. I haven't seen it. You know, I, I know I hear a lot of talk about well black people are ashamed. Or they don't think it's for the you know we don't talk about it, and that may be true. I don't think that's the whole picture, though. You know, I don't. I don't think that's the whole. I don't think that's the whole picture. I think that's a small part of the picture. That's a small part, and uh, and the sooner that we can sort of shift that narrative a bit, I think the better off that will be. You know. Uh, and there's all kinds of ways that we could do out mental health you know I think you know sitting on my porch and talking to people having very very intimate conversations My Freddie Faye likes to always say people like telling me their secrets it's not that people like telling me their secrets it's because I think what people like is is that I create a space for them to talk freely and openly about whatever is on their hearts and minds and that I'm not gonna, run out there and be the town crier about girl do you know what so-and-so said to me about Mm -mm. Mm so-and-so no I don't I don't do that because I understand the value of connection so it's not that I hold people's secrets and I have I do hold people's secrets but not not because I don't hold people's secrets as it's a burden to me because I understand when people tell me something it is not for me to solve. I never feel like I have to solve anybody's problem. When people come and sit with me in confidence, as a and I'm a sp- trained, certified spiritual director, spent four years of my life learning how to sit in the company of God and somebody. Uh, I I I know how to listen to people, and I don't I don't have to offer advice. So I can hear people's laments and not carry them. I'm trained to do that. So so. But but I think m- more importantly is because I I have a, a welcoming spirit, and that I am about opening uh, opening space for people to sit and tell me what they want to tell me, um, and it's a give and take. You know they share something I share something. It's not one sided, although it might feel like it sometimes, uh, not, and not in a bad way because you give space to allow people to to talk about what's on their hearts and minds and you know oftentimes if you sit with people and allow them to talk they'll figure out this their life their situation whatever the dilemma is whatever the challenge is you know they'll 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 figure it out if you give them enough space and time to do it you know a space that says you know think about it this way you know and i i only have to ask a few questions like i don't have to i'm not a therapist i don't got to You know, I don't have a clipboard or anything. I just naturally know how to converse with people, and and ask questions that I think are natural next questions. I think that's that's a good ability. I think that's my superpower, honestly. Uh, I like talking to people. I like being in conversation with people. You know, I do. So when people come and they want to talk to me, uh, I think it's because uh, I I I'm a welcoming. Spirit and I don't I don't have a judgment, you know and and I don't carry their the weight of whatever is bothering them. I don't. it's not mine to carry, but I can listen so and I, I don't mind listening. so I, so I I've, I've just been thinking about this a lot lately and how we uh, how we come to address mental health and 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 all the things that's going on in our communities. I think it begins with just just simple conversations, you know. No, now I'm not talking about the people who who you know have schizophrenia and and bipolar and all, but even that too, you know. There's a there's a there's a way in which conversations could be had about how to how to help people with that, you know. And I'm not I, listen. This is not a a takedown of the mental health community. I just think the mental health community needs an extra step, you know, with all that education, with all that clinical stuff. I think they miss some important some important things that are in front of them, um, that that they don't pick up on, Um, and that's really a narrative shift and a narrative change on on how they see access to mental health. That's all. So, so that's that's my take on it. Say what you will, (laughs) say say what you will, you know, uh, malign. And uh,
1: uh say what you will. Say what you will, say what you will, say what
0: you will, say what you will. So I'm gonna take a break in a few minutes, but I'm happy to have Clifton Grays. Now listen, let me tell you something. I've been chasing Clifton, Judge Clifton Graves for forever and a day to come on this show, forever and a day. And it took this for him to come on and talk about his friend, um, Charles Oakletree. And I'm I'm delighted. I listen, if you wanted to come on and talk about Kermit the Frog, I'd be like, okay, uh, Cliff, you want to talk about Kermit the Frog and your relationship to Kermit the Frog Frog? I'm here for it. But we're gonna talk about the late great Charles Oakletree. Uh, and 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 what this loss means and what his life meant to uh, Clifton Graves. Um, so I'm excited. So listen, I'll be back at uh, 10.15 with uh former probate judge, Clifton Graves. So y'all stay tuned. Go get you some coffee. Come on and sit a spell. I'll be here. Hi, this is Bab Straw's ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening Mira, to WNH. What is three point five day clothes or streaming live at Navy ain't make believe
3: people say I sit and try, but when it comes <laughs> to being daylight, it's just me myself and Me, myself, and I yeah. and This my person by stating I'm darkly packed I know this so I point at Q-tip and he stay Black is black Mirror, mirror on the wall Shovel chestnuts in my path Just keep on up, to and So I don't get an aftermath. But if I do, I'll calmly punch them In the fourth day of July Cause they try to mess with third degree That's me, myself, and I nah.
2: Me, myself I. It's just me, myself and
3: I It's just me, myself and I Girl that you tried to date, but a year to make love, she wanted you to wait. Let me tell you a story of my situation I was talking to this girl from the U.S. Nation The way that I met her was on tour at that concert She had long hair and a short miniskirt I just got on stage dripping pouring with sweat I was walking through the crowd And guess who I met? I whispered in her ear, come to the picture booth So I can ask you some questions to see if you're 100 proof I asked her her name, she said blah 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 She had 9, 10 pants and a very big bra I took a couple of foot and she was I said, how do you like the show? She said I was very amused I started throwing bitch, She started throwing back mid-range But when I sprung the question She acted kind of strange Because when I asked, do you have a man? She tried to pretend She said, no I don't I only have a friend Come on I'm not even going for it is what I'm going to say You, you got what I need But you say he's just a friend and you say he just a friend. Oh, baby you got what I need. Would you say he just a friend? Would you say he just a friend? Oh baby, you got what I need. Would you say he just a friend? Would you say he's just a friend? So watch your blah blah's working for red. This time. I thought just having friends friend couldn't be no crime Cause I have friends and that's a fact Like Agnes, Agatha, Jermaine and Jack Forget about that, let's go into the story About our girl named blah 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 that adore me So we started talking, getting familiar Spending a lot of time so we can build a relationship Or some understanding how it's gonna be in the future we was planning Everything sounded so dandy and sweet I had no idea yeah, I was in for a treat After this was established, everything was cool The tour was over and she went back to school I called every day to see how she was doing Every time that I called her, it seemed something was ruined I called the rumor, got picked up, and then I called And I say, yo, who is that? Oh, he's just a friend On a surprise visit To see my girl that was so exquisite It was a school day I know she was there The first semester of the school year I went to a gate to ask where was a dorm This guy made me fill out a visitor's form He told me where it was and I was on my way To see my baby doll I was happy to say I arrived in front of the dormitory Yo, could you tell me where is door 3? They showed me where it was for the moment I didn't know I was in for such an event So I came to a room and opened the door Oh snap! Guess what I saw? I felt a tongue kissing my girl in the mouth. I was so in shock, my heart went down south. So please listen to the message that I send Don't ever talk to a girl who says she just has a friend. Has a friend, has a friend, has a friend, has a friend. Like some have a control. I rather let her laughter To telling off I go Canoeing up the river or out into the hole. You just know me not, so not play the role. Some in lovey dovey, ah, I hear you clean snow. Some shake your hand, but I was John Doe, nah, no, Mr. Dollar. Pissed with the witness and now
2: I O's got the world, but O's was on tour Girls gave the O's and guys oh for sure Where they arose, well nobody knows What do they mean, well here's how it goes Oh shoots has got the O's, when you hold us dough You
3: know who you are, but they didn't know And now with respect they flex like a pro You're first another nigga, but now an I throw Oodles and oodles and O's and
2: kicking flat, but flavor better batter. bad i than the man. I bet you buy shit, come by fatter. I got the data, turn your body into anhydrite. just like a piece of sizzling, you'll fit inside my stomach with the eggs and grits between. The king is what I mean. I mean, my man, get a cup and put some change inside your hand. Now hold up. Let's make it sufficient. Everybody, let's agree that MCs need a tissue. The folks, my only issue. I bet your mama miss you, and I bet the Mac, they go off like an MX missile No more you your whining on the charts climbing as I make the phone kicking out more harder than a Alina. And if you didn't know who's rhyming, I guess I'm gonna say Craig Mac with perfect timing. You won't be around next year. My rap's too severe, kicking my flavor in. 1,000 degrees, you'll be on your knees, and you'll be burning, dragon please, brother freeze, man's indisputed and deep-rooted, folks smoke the leaves, your brains booted, This bad MC, with stamina like Roosh Dinner, the winner takes them MC's for dinner, you're crazy like that glue, that think that you could outdo my one-two, that's sick like the flu, down. boy, I flip boy all the time, cause boy, trying find me kicking eight, work the no competition in this rap world expedition you come around and knock your out position knock them out no flavor you could ever dig a grave over the back the power pack and black make you see man crap and here comes a brand new flavor in your air max a brand new flavor in your air here comes a brand new flavor in your time for new flavor Like to break it down, down breaking, forsaking laws. of MC shaking with this track that my man's making. MCs will run like a bomb threat. I bet, what? or better yet, uh-huh. make you sweat, getting hotter than the sun get Straight yep. Back is the flame that drops from here to Tibet. Wait. I break all rules with my action That the since and MCs stop relaxing. This brand new sheriff that's in town getting down, leaving bodies buried in the ground. I set up rhymes for a decoy down for bad boy, watch the empty not destroyed And here comes the brand new flavor
4: I know you're supposed to be my steering wheel Not just my spare tire you to a game of horseshoes, a game of horseshoes, now I see the importance of history, while my people be in the mess that they be. many journeys to freedom made in vain, by brothers on the corner playing ghetto games, I ask you lord why you enlighten me, without the enlightenment of all my folks, He cause I set myself on a quest for truth, and you was said to quench my thirst, but I am still thirsty, Allow me to drink some more He said what I am searching for Are the answers to all which are in front of me The ultimate truth started to get blurry For some strange reason it had to be It was all a dream about Tennessee Take me to another."
0: Oh, welcome back to Love Bath Love Talk. This is uh, the second hour, and I get to talk to Clifton Graves, who is, uh, you know, I'm making him do all kinds of stuff with his with his phone because <laughs> he looks looks blurry, and I'm trying to I want him to be sharp and in focus. I don't know, Harry, what should we do here?
1: Harry's my producer. He knows all the he knows all the tricks of the trade, and unmute yourself so I can hear you, Cliff. Can you turn your phone on its side like like this? Put it in landscape. That's fine. All right.
0: Well, you we have to unmute yourself. We could just start talking.
5: All right. Here I am. That's all right. Okay. I see you. All right. You can see me. I'm blurry, but people need to see me. Yeah, is. people need to see you. <laughs> <laughs> you said people don't need to Do that, see but- you.
0: That's right. And it's, you know, As it's you radio know. too. Yeah. So, so, okay. so people who listen on the radio can see you know how.
5: <laughs> That's right. well, it's all good. How are you doing? How are you? you? I, I finally get to your show. I, you know, it, <laughs> it, you. it
0: took a solemn occasion to get you <laughs> to my
5: show. I apologize for that. Should have been on here a long time ago.
0: And, and you will be back because you owe me like 8,000 8, appearances.
5: <laughs> oh you at least. But anyway, how are you? Everything's good with you.
0: You know, I love summer. Summer, it's good. It's
5: yeah.
0: It's been a you know, it's been a summer. So you
5: know, yeah, so. for sure.
0: It so is. so, tell me, how do you know Charles Ogletree? I mean, I know all you laurially types know each other, but
5: well, actually, it was interesting. I, I met Charles, uh, who actually, he, if you met him, if you walked, through, God bless his So if, if you met him, bam, the first thing he would say to you would be, "Just call me Tree." <laughs> um he he was he was, a, he was he was a humble brother i met him uh, when i was in law school we were in law school at the same time he was at harvard and i was at georgetown but his best friend uh reginald turner was a classmate of mine at georgetown so this is in the mid 70s and oh gosh i'm dating myself um and so <laughs> charles it, it was at harvard and it, it was campaigning to run for national president of the Black Law Students Association. And so Reggie was his campaign manager. So Reggie brought Charles down to Georgetown because we had a large contingent of inactive black students in my school. And I was active in the Black Student Union. So he wanted to make sure I introduced Charles and I'm sorry. Got introduced to Charles again and and, um, and help him with his campaign. So that's how we met. And and I and I we hit it off right away because we had similar interests and I was impressed with his and his, his brilliance, his intelligence, his commitment, and so uh, we 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 struggled with friendship then, but it was navigated primarily by by Reggie Turner, uh, my, my my classmate, and, um, and and that's that's how it started. So so one one key thing is about our relationship. So Charles, during this time, it's interesting how life how life comes full circle, Babs. At the time, the bat the Baki case was being heard by the Supreme Court. That was the case, of course, that there were admissions uh, in, in, in undergraduate and in graduate schools uh, and the race could be. And the issue was then Alan Bakke, a white student in California, had challenged the University of California's practices of setting aside a certain number of slots in their uh, medical school for black students and Latinos. And so that case was coming up and we thought it would be, we thought then that would be a threat to the existence of folk like us in law school and those coming behind us. So we rallied, and Charles was in the leadership of that, and and I was on his leadership team, so we had a big rally. We rallied college students and law students from around the country to come to march on the Capitol, not like the folk on January 6th. We marched peaceably to to (laughs) the Capitol, and we had a nice, peaceful march. Listen, 25,000 babs, 25,000 Students, mostly African American and Latino, uh, and then whites as well, joined us to protest and advocate for, for racial uh, parity and justice in, in the admissions process. And we uh, and so Charles uh, and I uh, we, we were part of that. So the reason I mentioned it is because later, twenty years later, when Charles when Tree wrote his book called All Deliberate Speed, his autobiography and his analysis and critique of fifty years after the Brown versus Board of Education decision. I pick up the book and I'm thumbing through the book and halfway through the book, I see this picture of Charles Overtree and me in the book at, at the rally in Washington at 19, I guess it was 70, 78. And so I didn't know, I, Charles didn't call me, let me know he was gonna put my picture in the book. So I had to call him. I called him up and I said, "Tree, you put me in the book. So I was honored and humbled, he put me in the book. Then I said, of course, do I get any royalties from this? Do I get like something from there? From you putting my picture in this book? And so we laughed about that. We joked about that uh, every time we saw each other. But I was humbled and honored to be a part of that. And we kept that relationship and nurtured. it. But during his career, uh, I followed his career. When he, when he graduated from uh, Harvard Law School, he came back to Washington. And I was still in law school. And he, was, he became a, a lawyer with the DC Public Defender's Office. And I was in a criminal justice seminar at Georgetown, and I went out, reached out to Tree, and he let me sit in on some of his cases that he was handling. Uh, and of course, as you know, DC, DC Public Defender Office is one of the best in the country. In fact, mm-hmm. as bad, the sister who's the judge in this Trump case now, she came out of the DC Public Defender Office and was known as a tough lawyer and, and a tough advocate, similar to, to Tree. So Tree does that, and he goes on, and, and he just has just a stellar career. Uh, going on, he gets, he goes in. He gets hired at Harvard uh, to to teach uh, law there, where he, where he was a mainstay for 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 a couple of decades. Quite frankly, he he had public television shows. He was a, a, he had a, an advocacy show similar to like it was like a combination of Meet the Press and 60 Minutes, where he would bring scholars from different points of view to discuss issues of the day, and he would be the moderator for those for those discussions. I think it was an award-winning show he did. Uh, and of course, he, as you know, he represented for folks like Tupac, as well as Anita Hill.
0: Yes, and and so, uh, and Anita Hill.
5: And Anita Hill, yeah, which is which is, a, and he got. I got to tell you, that was uh, an interesting crossroads in his life when he he represents Anita Hill, and of course, making advocating for her against Clarence Thomas. We should have listened to him, quite frankly, uh, at, but we didn't. But but nonetheless. But but it caught he got he, he got a lot of criticism for that because he was this black man he, even with his political background uh, conservative background to to Clarence Thomas being what people perceived as being attacked by Anita Hill and Tree was defending Anita Hill and advocating for he, he was her lawyer and he got a lot of criticism for that. And but in hindsight and retrospect, as I said earlier, uh, it appears that Anita Char- Hill, we should have listened to Anita Hill and and, and and Charles Ogletree, considering what we had. <laughs> Summers. And that, I'm going to say that on the record. Um, but nonetheless, he but he but he but he survived that and his credibility and integrity re- remained intact. And he went on later, as you may, may remember, he he went into he went to Oklahoma to speak at a program honoring uh, John Blassingame's. Um, I'm sorry, John, John Franklin, John Hope Franklin's father, uh, who, was a, who was a lawyer during the Black Wall Street to, uh, uh, during that time. And when he went when he got out there, he was shocked to discover there were still people living Babs. There were survivors of the Tulsa Massacre, the Black Wall Street Massacre, who these folks were children, like literally five, six years old when the massacre happened. But now they were in their 90s and some even over 100 who were still alive, who could recall and recollect what happened. And he met with them and he was so moved because he said he had not heard that story. Even though he was a Stanford graduate, Harvard Law School graduate, a scholar in in many respects, but had not heard of what transpired in Tulsa, and he that was a, and so he decided to tackle that case and become an, and become an advocate for the survivors um, of the Tulsa race race riot, the massacre there, and he went before the Congress, he went before the courts, trying to get justice and reparations for them, and that that battle continues to to this very day, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah.
0: So were you were you stunned that at sixty-two he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's? Like
5: Yeah, I was. When when I didn't I I didn't I heard it actually through, of course, Reggie. Reggie and I, his best friend, Reggie, they were both best men at each other's weddings and his boy, uh, as, as he calls him. But I just heard from him this morning. And uh he's of course still grieving, but he was overwhelmed by this outcome, outpouring of of, of, of support and acclamation and for, for Charles for Tree. So, anyway, so Reggie called me and said, because I was trying, actually, I was trying to, you should really, you appreciate this. I was trying to get Tree to come speak here. I wanted him to come to speak at either NAACP Freedom Fund dinner or just come to New Haven to speak. And, uh, and, and um because yeah, he's at Harvard, so he, he wouldn't have a problem coming to Yale, of course. <laughs> but, but the problem was, uh, since I reached out to him, I was trying to reach out to him through Reggie, and Reggie indicated then. He said on the downloads, "He you, know, you got to keep this to yourself.'" But uh, Charles is his early, early, early onset. You know, on onset. On, uh, what's it called? On, you know, the word. I'm early onset
0: Alzheimer's. <laughs> to- yeah, early onset uh, <laughs> Alzheimer's.
5: Uh, yeah, he had that. Thank you. Thanks for clarifying that. as English major. So, anyways, on a serious tip, he. I, I heard it from Reggie, and I was I was stunned. Yes, and, and saddened. You know, he's 62, and he was a brilliant lawyer. And at, at the peak of his career, you know, because at that time, I believe, uh, Barack Obama, well, I think it was ending, it was wrapping up his presidency, and they were very close, as you know. Yeah, because he was his professor. Yeah, so Ogletree, yeah, so he was Professor first for Katanji Jackson, of course, who's on Supreme Court now. And Michelle Obama. And Michelle Obama. He taught both. So listen, I had a couple, Charles came to she came to Yukon several years ago before this onset, uh, the dementia and Alzheimer's rather, and spoke at Yukon. And I, I was invited, I, I got word of whatever, met him there. We talked for a while. We, I'm sitting in his car with him. He says to me, Well, you know, I taught both Barack and Michelle. And I'll tell you, Cliff, Michelle's a lot smarter than Barack. He said, a whole, <laughs> lot, a whole lot smarter. And so I said, <laughs> so I, we laughed at that. But, uh, but anyway, he taught them both. And so my, my thinking was quite frankly that had Barack Obama, first of all, two things. Had, had Charles not gotten sick and had Barack Obama had another opportunity to appoint a Supreme Court justice, Charles Ogletree would have been at the top of that list. Because he was, he was, it was well, it was a scholar, well learned, uh, and and uh, educated and experienced. And I believe he'd have been at the top of his list and, and would have there been some pushback, I'm sure, from some Republicans, but I think for the most part, he would have gotten through the Senate without 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 a major problem. But unfortunately, because of two things. One, I think his illness primarily. And it could have been a thing. And also, I, I thought about this, Babs. Remember, Charles Ogletree was Anita Hill's lawyer <laughs> to advocating against Clarence Thomas. So it might have been a problem there as well if he got on the Supreme Court with, with Clarence Thomas. <laughs> I'm not sure how that would have worked out, but uh, but uh, but and i and I'm sure thought, I'm sure I had to believe that that he that, that, that the tree and, and President Obama talked about that. So you know, I don't know how this would work, man. But uh, but in any event, but yes, but it was a but certainly he. But he was a great scholar and 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 mentor. Even when Dr. when Barack and Michelle was in the White House, Charles was invited. She was invited to the White House on many occasions to to sit down and discuss issues with them. Uh, he even did a seminar at Harvard Law School on Obama's presidency while while yes. Obama was the president. Um, so he was; they were very close, very close, and uh, and and well respected by the Obamas for sure.
0: And he he was Tupac um, Shakur's attorney too.
5: Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah which is funny how that, how that happened, that He gets to be Tupac, but again, his his reputation similar similar to uh, Johnny Cochran. Uh, in in both of them from California. But, but, and they knew each other, and by the way, so going back to the Oklahoma case quickly. So Charles Tree assembled a, a bunch of, a group of lawyers from around the country, including Johnny Cocker to assist him with that Oklahoma case. But I think because of Tree's reputation around the country, people recognized his scholarship and his brilliance and his, and his capabilities, and I'm sure words filtered down to Tupac's people. And that was why they reached out to him and to, to serve as his counsel. Um, and he had no problem doing that because he he was, he was a lawyer first, first and foremost, and wanted to make sure everyone was treated fairly and justly. Yeah, wow. I, I but, love, but, but, but that's Tupac that needed heal, yes, certainly that, and of course the Oklahoma that, the that's
0: that's very extreme. These are three yes. extreme <laughs> things.
5: Absolutely. But that was true. You know, but but again, he was as as brilliant as he was, and and he was he was just as humble. And and he'd walk into a room unassume, unassuming, unassuming, and, and 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 that's the way he was. That's the way he was brought up, and um, and he just just made him that. That's what made him so much so so special, quite frankly. In my eyes. So,
0: so Cliff, talk about. I mean, y'all were in law school at the height of, you know, right in the middle of the civil rights. You know, all yeah. the civil rights stuff, like the Black Power movement. I mean, they, the seventies was hot. So, you know, I mean. Yeah. Did it? Did it solidify your reasoning for wanting to be an attorney? And and your contemporaries, you know, when you look back on them now, I mean, we're heavy hitters.
5: Oh, for sure. And I, I was I was honored and blessed to 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 be a part of to be a part of that generation of lawyers. You're right. We so we those of us in law school in, in the mid '70s, of course, were in high school in, in the late '60s and then in college in the early from late '60s early '70s. So by the time we get to law school. And uh, I graduated from Tufts University in 1975, went to Georgetown, and the group of the students who came out from, no, no matter where they were, whether, you know, from black colleges or schools like, 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 like Tree and, and Reggie from Stanford, or other Ivy League schools, we had a common bond, because of the, the political atmosphere that, that had been created at that time. Because it, it was at the time we were in law school, the women, Ben Chavis and the women to 10 were still uh, incarcerated and fighting for justice. There were countless other cases of Black Panther cases around the country, where folks were still being, were still incarcerated, still fighting for for justice and freedom. Uh, the, the FBI was still the COINTEL program was still in, in effect, uh, as far as uh, uh, identifying and targeting um, what what they considered to be threat African American men and women who were threats to to American security. And so there there was a need for lawyers. So when we meet and talk and have our discuss things it was about how do we how do we train ourselves as lawyers uh, to fight these battles and it wasn't everybody let's be clear some of the lawyers some of my colleagues and classmates were saying okay we understand that but i'm, I'm here to become a corporate lawyer i want to go into corporate law i want to make some money and build and that's fine we we acknowledged that respected that but there was a core group of folks and Tree was was, was in the in, in, in it was in the center of that who tried to encourage us that we had an obligation and responsibility to to fight for, for, for social justice, for racial justice, for and challenge the inequities in the criminal justice system, which is why, again, his first job out of law school at Harvard was to work in the DC public defender office. Now you gotta imagine, you can appreciate the fact coming out of Harvard Law School with a Stanford undergraduate degree, Tree had the, the, the world was his oyster. He could have probably taken any number of jobs in corporate America, or doing other things that would have made a lot more money for him. But he purposely chose to come to DC, the nation's capital, with that chocolate city at that time. To come and fight, because he understood clearly how the criminal justice system was, 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 um, inequitable and mistreating scores and scores of young black men in particular. So he came to fight that battle, and that, that was his first job out of law school. And that was he was trying to encourage us and motivate many of us to 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 to, to roll up our sleeves and fight these battles. But there were, right? But to your point, yes, there were any number of cases. So so going back to the Williams Ten case, we were and with the Black Law, Law Student Association, we invited lawyers who were the lawyers who were actually practicing at the time to come and talk to us about those cases. And and we actually did research, and they we, they commissioned us and brought us in to be volunteer researchers on, on some of those cases. But yeah, but it was a, a challenging time, but a, but certainly a time that certainly shaped my career in terms of being, being in social service and, and, and community activism and countless other of my, my, my friends. I never get into this story quickly. We were, uh, at, at, during this period of time, when Black students you were know, sitting around talking about what we plan to do and the, the struggles we plan to fight. And i I never forget this bad. There was one of our, our white classmates who, who overheard us talking about some of these cases, women to 10, Black Panthers, and social injustices. And he came up to us and said, listen, you mind if I tell you something? We said, sure, he said, listen, i I want to let you know how much I admire all of you, you, you men and women, for for coming to law school and having a purpose and a focus in life. He said, "He's from South Carolina, by the way." He said, "When I," he said, "I'm a young white boy from South Carolina. My path is already paved. All my father and grandfather told me to do is graduate. As soon as I graduate, I got a job waiting for me, and my parent and my family law firm, and I'll be fine. I'll be fine the rest of my life." All I got to do is show up and, and go to work. I'm good. He said, that's all, and, and that's, all, that's all I have to live for. I have no focus, no, no plans, no, no agenda. Just graduate from law school and go work for my family law firm. He said, you guys, on the other hand, have a purpose, have a fire, have a burning. There's a burning, I sense, in, in your stomach to fight and, 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 and to have something to live for and to fight for. And he said, honestly and candidly, he said, I admire that because I don't have that. And that's something that stuck with me all these years later, ben. Now he didn't speak for everybody, but certainly it was indicative of the times in which we live and the different purposes, quite frankly, even to this very day, that the, the law students and and and, and, and any, any black professional professionals in any in any in any realm, your your profession in, in journalism and, and whether it's in medicine, whether it's in engineering, whether it's in teaching, it's law, whatever profession we find ourselves in, we should have. Because of circumstances, a different purpose, a different agenda than other folks. Because of the conditions of our community, the situations we find ourselves in. So, wow, yeah, that's pretty damn tough. wow. But it is deep. That is deep. It's deep, and it's something that stuck with me all these years later. I said uh, about uh, this guy, and he was as as honest and candid as he could be. But he appreciated us, and that's something that stuck with me, and even some of my colleagues to this very day. We remember that we remember that discussion with him, and and talk about um, that and how uh, it is just true. It's so true. And uh, so, and how do you with-
0: feel now, Clifton? I mean, it's this is a full circle moment. I mean, we've seen the Supreme Court, this particular sitting setting of sitting of Supreme Court justices, undo so many gains. You know, sure. I mean, how does that? How, how how do you how do you reconcile that in your? in your it's, legal mind it's,
5: it's, it's difficult these cases these yeah the case um yeah, certainly the, this, this, this case the uh students for fairness and admissions that i mean that, that was the, 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 the plaintiff's name in that in those cases against the university of north Carolina and Harvard challenging their affirmative action policies the students for fair for fair admissions which i find is a uh, an interesting uh, uh, name quite frankly were given what they were fighting for and fighting against, so it's um, it's 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 a it's a challenge of and it's just it's, it's, it's remorse it's, for me. It's very remorseful and and and, and reflective for me to uh, to look back on all this and say, "Gee, we were fighting forty five years, over forty years ago, almost fifty years ago. We were fighting for 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 equity, fairness, and and uh, opportunity, and then now things are coming full circle." In, in, in many respects, and so, I, I, so I, I, I fret for the students coming behind me, the, the students that are in high school now or in college now, uh, especially the, the African-American and Latino students, the students of color, because now they have to fight this battle almost all, all over again and, 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 and come up with different strategies. So it's, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's sad in a way, but, but it's also, uh, again, rem- it reminds us that what, we, what we've been told, all you were told, I've been told and taught over the years that this battle um, is far from over. It's, it's a daily battle. You know, John Lewis said it, and Frederick Douglass said it 150 years ago. You know, this, this struggle may be a moral one or a physical one, but it must be a struggle. You know, power concedes nothing without a demand. Never has, never will. You know, you may not get all you pay for in this world, but you, but you got to pay for whatever you get. And that's where we are. We have to continue to fight this battle. It's, it's unfortunate, but, it, but it's true. But, it, but, but to your point, but on, but on the other hand is this. I taught, I was fortunate to teach a course this past semester at Quinnipiac Law School in constitutional law, civil rights. And we focused in on case, this case, quite frankly, even before it was heard before the Supreme Court, as well as countless other cases from the abortion rights case to, to cases dealing with uh, the LGBTQ community. Uh, we, we, we talked about civil rights and, 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 and equity and justice in America. And I was, I gotta tell you that I was pleased and hardened by the fact that these young students, and quite a, and I had there were 17 law students in Quinnipiac, there were only two students of color. There was a Latina and one African American sister in the class. There were only two. Everybody else was a Caucasian. But to, but, to, but to their credit, the majority of those students were like, we have to, we have to commit ourselves as law students today to fight these battles, whether it was in indigenous rights, whether it's African American, Latino. Uh, it was across the board. They, they, and again, that's a small group. It's not everybody, but I was hardened by their commitment, their knowledge, their 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 criticism of the current court, court and its and its policies and what's going on in the country. And I'm, so I'm hopeful that that this, that this is going on in other classrooms across the country at Howard, at Harvard, at Yale. At-
0: I was just about to ask you: Do you think that there's this renewed sense in the law, or for law students? To pick up these mantles and run, right? Do, are you? Are you? Do, are you? Does that? Do you? Are oh. you? Hopefully, we're seeing that. Do you think we're seeing that?
5: I hope so. But I do. I, well, I'm I'm hopeful because here's the thing. Even at, and I, I remind you know. I teach Af- you know. I teach African American history at Gateway, and I remind my students every every semester every year that at the height we have to remember in our history, at the height of the civil rights movement, at the height of civil rights movement, less than fifteen percent. Of black people were involved. It wasn't like everybody. When you, you, you see the films and, and you know whether it's the march of Washington or folks in the street, you say, "Oh, everybody was marching. Everybody was demonstrating." No, that was only a small group of folk who were out there not knocking on doors, not getting folks registered to vote, standing in the streets, marching, getting holes by with, with water holes and bitten by the dogs. That was only a small percentage of us, and even a smaller percentage of black lawyers who were involved in fighting these battles. But, it, but it, was, it was a core group, a committed group, and we've applaud, that's why we applaud and commend folks like Constance Baker Martin and Thurgood Marshall and, and, that, and that, that core group of advocates and Charles Hamilton Houston, of course, who was their teacher and mentor. But so to, to your point, there, there won't be, a, there, we don't need, to be a, there don't need to be a whole lot of folks, but as long as the my, my sense of it is, my hope is that if Quinnipiac, Quinnipeg of all places is in the in, in indicator of a cadre of folks at Quinnipiac, and there's, if there could be a cadre at Yale Law School, which I have to believe there might, there might be, because Yale does have teachers there who were, who who were products of and and uh, certainly uh, beneficiaries of affirmative action programs and the civil rights movement. There's still lawyers, and uh, black and white who are there at Yale at these law schools, Yale in particular. I would think, um, more so the Quinnipiac, I would say, but but Quinnipiac does have Marilyn Ford, who's been, a, as you may know. A staunch advocate, fighter for civil rights for many years, and and, and my sorority sister, and, and your sister, absolutely <laughs> got to throw that in there for sure. So you know about Marilyn Ford, who's an icon in my mind, uh, and and certainly she's she's been she's been I think the sole person I think responsible for the increase in a in, in, in number of black students at Quinnipiac and for them having even a course in civil rights that was I was able to teach. So folks like that, as long as they're around. We, we can count on and at least hope that there are folks who will encourage and motivate students to, to come out here and fight these battles. But understand that, but I also understand these battles are difficult, especially in these days and times because the courts are, are filled with judges appointed by uh, not just Trump, but even before him, Bush, but primarily Trump. Trump appointed a, a, a slew of federal judges all around the country that by design so you and, those, and these are federal judges. Even before these cases get before the Supreme Court, it's more for the it's The federal judges to make decisions on these on a lot of these cases. So it's a, it's a it's a it's a difficult time to live in, but it's a challenging time. And the hope, my hope, is that these law students of all races who committed to racial justice, social justice, economic justice, gender justice, will find a way to mobilize, organize, and connect with these agencies, entities around the country like the League of Defense Fund out of New York and, and, and countless others and fight these battles, continue to fight these battles as difficult mm. as they might be. Mm. So how do, you, how,
0: do, how do you want the world to remember um, uh, Professor Ogletree. Ogletree? And and how will you remember Professor Ogletree? I'll,
5: uh, but first, uh, I, I deal with the world first, and then, I, then I'll come back to my personal reflection. Uh, the world should remember him as uh, a brilliant, legal scholar, activist. Um, there, have been, there have been scores of black men and women who made their mark in the legal profession. Charles Overtree stood on the shoulders of, like I stand on the shoulders of many of those folk, like Charles Hamilton Houston, who he, who he named, um, who he, he was the founding director of that institute at Harvard Law School, Charles Hamilton Houston, of course, brilliant lawyer, Amherst, Harvard, who okay, became dean of Howard Law School, mentor to Thurgood Marshall and, and countless others. And um, in terms of, he, he, he trained lawyers. He said lawyers should be social engineers. So Charles Ogletree stands in, in, on, on Charles Hamilton's huge shoulders, as well as people like not Thurgood Marshall, Constance Baker Motley, Leon Higdebog, and others. So he should be, I, I, would, I would consider him to be on the Mount, Mount Rushmore of, of African American legal thinkers, jurists advocates, uh, for sure. Some, some people may challenge that, but certainly, I think he should be, we should remember that as well. And, and as one who was brilliant, a brilliant legal scholar, again, as I said, activist, advocate, but also uh, humble. Down earth, and, and as humble as one could be, uh, given his stature, status, and the reverence with which people have called it to this very day, and will continue to hold up his name. Uh, that's how we should remember him. Um, and, and a fee, and fearless, a fearless, a fearless advocate, uh, a speak a, a speaker of truth to power, and one who who had who was committed to the uplifting of, of our community and this country. Quite frankly, and on a personal note, uh, I, I would I would remember for all those things, but also I remember just a, a, again this downer of guy who had a great sense of humor. Uh, again, humor humble as, as one could be and, and who um, I, I said the story, about that picture, I mentioned the outset about my picture being in the book. So it is a fun, this is a sidebar. And I remember tree. This is, this, is, this is a tree. He put so he had my picture in the book with well, him. of the two of us are there in the book uh, at the rally, at the back of rally from the, the US Capitol. And so I looked at the picture. So I said, I called Trish over tree you have my picture in here with you, but you don't put my name, you have my name in here. So he said, Oh Cliff, I'm sorry. So he said, I take care of it. So within a month, man, he sends me an autographed copy of the book, but with, with 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 uh with my picture in it with my name under it. He said, I, and so that that was treat. And, and, and now, of course, I was being I was just joking with him, but he took it, he took the slight serious enough. He called the publisher, got the put my name in the book, sent me the copy, autographed and said, Cliff, I'm sorry, you're my boy. And so, but that was true. And, and, and that's his humility and his down to earthness. And so I remember that and about him uh, the rest of my life and, and, and appreciate his friendship, his, his, uh, his brilliance and his compassion and his, and his mentorship in many ways uh, to, for all of us to be the best we can be and do the best we can do as we fight the struggle for social, social and racial justice in America. Yeah, my wow. man.
0: I, I so appreciate you uh, taking the time to remember your friend. Because I, I admired yeah. him from afar, you know. Yeah. I, I really did. And I, I followed uh, his career. I remember seeing him, uh, you know, on the, the the State of the Black Union and facilitating yeah. the conversations. That's That's how I came to know him. And absolutely. then when he was on PBS doing the Ethics in America roundtable stuff, I was fascinated by the way he would pose these questions about, you know, a question of ethics and 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 the people that were around that table, you know, just really wrestling with these things. And I, I was just fascinated by it. So I I've been a fan for the last twenty five years or so of of great. him and
5: his he's, he's, mind and brilliance. He was great and absolutely. And, and it's interesting how. You see that how he would, um, even though he he it was clear about it, what his political perspective was, but he surrounded himself. He he had no problem being around folks of different political persuasions, because that because that, that sharpened his mind, it sharpened his his analyses. And so, going back to you're at, you're in the vineyard. So when they when they premiered this film about uh, before they die, you know, about the Tulsa survivors, actually it was it was, it was premiered in Martha's Vineyard at, at that film festival years ago. Mm-hmm. Reggie, Reggie Turner, his his, his, uh, his best friend and you know roommate from college, and my classmate at Georgetown. Reggie was a producer, because he was he been a, a lawyer. In addition, been a lawyer, he's a filmmaker, and so but Charles, of course, was, was an integral part of the film. So they both were there. At, uh, Reggie invited me up. I'm there, of course. Tree is there as a panelist, and and uh, which is great. And, and of course, you that that film room, but that auditorium was full, was packed to the brim. Um, and then of course, afterwards, you go to dinner. And so, Tree invites Alan Dershowitz, you know, Dershowitz the lawyer for Harvard, who, mm-hmm. who was a lawyer for Trump <laughs> in, in recent years. He's been Trump, one of Trump's lawyers, but but, Alan, but Tree, and of course they they had different po- political points of view, but Tree invited Dershowitz to have dinner with this group of folks after, after the film, because again, that's Tree. You know, irrespective of political, political positions or persuasions, he, oh, he welcomed that and embraced that. I think, and others have embraced him for his willingness not to just to to, to, to exclude himself or surround himself with folk who were who like thinkers. And so that, that again, that, that is, that's a, another contribution and, 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 and an, at, an attribute of tree. And I remember that clearly, I said, I'm, I'm looking around and said, this is kind of funny. That, that Dursman would just say, with tree. But, uh, and, uh, and oh, and Al Sharpe. We had so we had at the table. It was it was too funny, but that was Al Sharpton, Tree, and Alan Dershowitz at the at the, at the dinner table. And I'm saying, well, Jesus, this, this is I'm I'm fascinated by all this. I'm watching all this unfold. But that was Tree. He had the ability to bring people of different different backgrounds and persuasions together, and in harmony, and discuss issues of the day, but also have dinner as human beings. And 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 that was that's another again as I said a minute ago. That was just, that was Tree. And uh, that's something that uh, I'll, uh, I'll never forget, for sure.
0: Thank you, Cliff Graves, probate, former probate judge of uh, New Haven. I thank you for this. I want you to come back because I really enjoy talking to you. And I know there's so many other things that we could talk about. So oh, thank for sure. you for your time. So I don't dodge
5: you. me. <laughs> well, let me, let me give you two. We well, certainly, yeah, we can. I, I owe you. We can talk about probate court, of course. We can talk about African-American history, Dixwell Church. That I'm moderator for we, we a lot of stuff we can talk about in terms of history and uh and our and our struggle today. So anytime I owe you at least nine nine more sessions. So like you nine thousand
0: nine, 9, more sessions. Nine thousand. I'm sorry. They, yeah. I'm and, serious. And, I'm gonna reach out to yeah. you. I'm gonna set some dates up. So I, I want you to come <laughs> on. I want you to come on to talk more because I, I like I like what you're saying. So
5: I, I appreciate <laughs> it. And I know other people would love to hear it. So well, so I'm thank hum- you. Hum- Humble that you asked me. I appreciate you. Thank you for all you do. You do a great service to our community. I, pre- I say that sincerely. Uh Thank educate, you. enlightening us. And so God bless you. Take care. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good right. day. Stay. I'll see you I'm soon. I'm sure you will. <laughs> about the all right. That's all, all right. We'll work it out. Thank <laughs> you. Have a, Have a good you. day, bro. all right Bye-bye.
0: Man. All right, Harry Joes. I'm not here tomorrow and I'm not here Friday because I'll be on Martha's Vineyard. So I'll be back on Tuesday because I won't be here Monday because I'll be coming back from Martha's Vineyard. So I will see y'all uh, Tuesday. Y'all behave and be good. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Paul.